Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he had said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one. Nor do you regard people with partiality. So tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a a denarius. And then he said to them, Who's... Whose head is on this coin? And whose title? And they answered him, the emperors. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperors, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him, and they went away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I'm very grateful for the children's sermon that Jacob just led. And and more than this, I'm grateful for the spirit behind it. One of encouragement in which he is setting up the children for success and applauding their right answers, which uh, comes in direct opposition to the children's sermon I want to recall today that I gave maybe five to ten years ago. (laughs) Definitely the most diabolical of children's sermons I have ever given in this church. Because in that children's sermon, I dangled a $20 bill in front of the children's eyes And I said, any of you can have this $20 bill if you just win this simple game of a coin toss. And of course, there were so many hands raising their hands, so many hands up in the sky wanting to participate in playing this game. I I chose one lucky volunteer. I produced a quarter from my pocket. I tossed it in the air. And before I finished, I said, heads I win, tails you lose. A few of you got it. (laughs) Oh, heads I win. Sorry, young one, that's okay. That someday you might win, but not today. Uh, any other volunteers? And more hands go up. I said, okay, how about you? Great. Heads I win, tails you lose. Tails. Ah, oh, you lose. Jacob's like, great job. I'm like, you loser. <laughs> Wasn't that bad. Wasn't that bad. By now, the kids were starting to get on to the game, and and I did ask for a third volunteer, and there was still one hand in the air, and I threw the coin, and if I said, heads I win, tails you lose, and lo and behold, young child, the game is on you. The fix is in. I have no earthly idea what the point was of that children's (laughs) sermon. There was a lesson in there somewhere. I think I was trying to connect 
to the resurrection, resurrection message of where, O oh, death, is your victory, where, O oh, death, is your sting. I don't think I got that point across. <laughs> and uh, we'll see how it goes today. But I want to return to that silly moment to introduce a very serious moment in Scripture. A moment when Jesus encountered his own heads-I-win, tails-you-lose scenario. And this contest that he found himself in, there was much more at stake than a mere $20. I want to set the stage of the scene in the gospel. Jesus has already bounded triumphantly on a donkey into Jerusalem with the shouts of hallelujah burning in the ears of those who were most threatened by that procession. He has already overturned the tables in the temple, deriding those who stole profits from the piety of others. And all of this has only intensified the festering animosity of the Pharisees, those religious leaders who had been plotting his death and demise as far back as 10 chapters ago in the narrative. In our text today, these Pharisees make another move to trap Jesus in a high-stakes game that they are sure they cannot lose. But like the king flanked by his rooks, bishops, and knights in the safety of the rear of the line of the playing board, the Pharisees send out their pawns to do their dirty work. And from those Pharisaicals, the Pharisees' protected perch, they will discover that when it comes to Christ, there is no checkmate. There is no checkmate. There were some Herodians on the side of these pawns, and we'll talk about them shortly. But they open their gambit with some false flattery, extolling Jesus' wisdom, his sincerity, his truth. And after buttering him up with the fake margarine of their praise, they ask Jesus, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? The issue at hand was the poll tax. In Greek, it was the census, in Latin, the census, that Rome levied on every man or woman, free or slave, between the ages of 14 and 65. To live in peace within that Roman Empire, you had to pay the tax. And it was worth about a day or so of a laborer's wages. This tax generated a great deal of controversy and conflict among the people of Israel who were occupied by Rome. There were the ardent nationalists for whom this tax was an unjust provocation, a betrayal of the law of God, the God of Abraham and of Moses and David. And at times for these nationalists, their opposition would erupt in violent protest and rebellion. Among them were the Herodians, though. They were named after Herod the Great, who ruled Palestine for like 35 years, with the support, significantly, of Rome and their patronage this group of people would have supported paying the tax because it would keep the peace that was to their advantage. 
So knowing all of this, the Pharisees, through their minions, confronted Jesus about the text, knowing that if he were to reject paying it, he would commit treason against Rome. But if he were to embrace paying the tax or support the payment of it, he would appear to elevate Rome and Caesar above God and thus lose the support of many of his people. Either response would have justified violence against Jesus that they sought to inflict on him. In other words, heads I win, tails you lose. Now before we get onto how Jesus responds to this entrapment, let me pause here and suggest to you why I think this moment matters so much to us in the first place. It matters because we are all too familiar with lose-lose scenarios. Life tosses us these coins all the time, asking us to choose a side when either choice leads to a loss. Here are just some of many examples. We may choose to purchase, say, an electric vehicle to combat climate change only to impose costs on the people and land necessary to mine the materials for its construction. Mind you, this is not a critique of those of you driving a hybrid. But there are costs. We may choose to take a principled stand within our political party, amongst our colleagues at work, with our families and our friends, and then find ourselves losing the very connections with them that make such a stand possible and meaningful. We can make decisions to help our future that harm our present. We may move to a new place and have to say goodbye to an old one. There are costs. And this brings me to the bloodshed in Israel and Gaza that seems far more likely to produce mutual defeat, a lose-lose, than any kind of victory that we can share. As I listened last week to the victims from differing vantage points of this situation, I have heard voices in me and definitely around me prodding me to choose a side to see this cataclysm primarily through one lens or the other. Just as Jesus was challenged to confess fealty to Rome or to God, I find myself challenged to pick heads or tails in a situation that I cannot make heads or tails of. And no matter where I land, I hear the voices of those who are suffering in ways that I cannot imagine. And all of this leads me to a very despairing and ambiguous place. It just seems that we are stuck systemically, individually, in cycles of lose-lose scenarios. And I think my gift in this moment is not to pronounce to you or to the world what ought to be done or not done by those who are living these nightmares but to sit with you in a place of lament and humility. Lament because none of this is right. And humility 
Because our way out of this will not come from my being right or you. Our faith teaches us that we do not by ourselves possess the rightness or the righteousness to move our world beyond this sin and destruction. In our state of drowning, we cannot throw a life preserver to ourselves. In our broken pits of despair, we cannot climb out of ourselves. We need that which is beyond us to realize and express that which is the best in us. And in our faith, we teach that this power beyond us is Christ with us. Christ to whom we look as Savior because we need saving. This is why we may pay attention to this story and witness this Jesus, this Christ, this Savior as he turns the tables on a game rigged against him and his people. Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Says the one who tried who they tried to manipulate, but now he has them in the palm of his hand. Show me the coin used for the tax, he says, for this is his moment, not theirs. Whose head is this on this coin and whose title, asks the one who has the answers to these questions. They show him the coin and they say it is the emperor's face. And historians believe, yes, it was probably Emperor Tiberius with an inscription that read, August, son of the divine Augustus, high priest. Go, therefore, Jesus said. Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's. Give to God the things that are God's. Flabbergasted, amazed, the Pharisees' pawns leave the game. We've seen Jesus evade these kinds of traps before. When he was fasting in the wilderness, the tempter came to him and cornered him with temptations that were justified by the very words of God that Jesus would teach. If you are the son of God, the devil hissed, turn the stones into bread. Leap off the cliff and let your angels bear you up. Worship me and obtain the kingdom that is yours to have. But then, as in now, Jesus refuses to be cornered. He turns the tables and says, one does not live by bread alone. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Serve only him. In a few moments after this scene, another group of skeptics test Jesus in a different way, asking him to name the greatest commandment hoping perhaps that he will flub that test, unlike our children. But there is no checkmate with Christ. For he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your soul. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This, I believe, is what Jesus means when he says, give to God the things that are God. The things we give are ourselves. In our humility, in our lament, 
as those who are servants of God more than supervisors of others. In the early centuries of the church, there was an Orthodox teacher named Severus. Not Snape. No dark arts here for you Harry Potter lovers. He was Severus the Great, and his, his nickname was actually also Severus of Gaza. So maybe we ought to lean in a little bit more when we listen to what he had to say. Remarking about this text and preaching about it, he said, Caesar required his image on every coin, but God has chosen the human personality whom God has created in love to reflect God's glory. The image of God, Severus said, is not depicted on gold, but it is imaged in humanity. From Severus's words, I'm going to put it this way, that we are God's coinage. Despite the violence we inflict on each other or allow to be inflicted on others, we are God's coinage. Despite the harms that we do tomorrow, to tomorrow in service of our comforts today, we are God's coinage. God has chosen in God's free will and God's sovereignty to depend on us, to work through us, to beat swords into plowshares, to proclaim release to the captives, to announce where, O death, is your victory, where, O death, is your sting. This great blessing leads to a contradiction, one perhaps that you've noticed in this sermon. On one hand, I have said that we do not possess in ourselves the power to save us. And on the other, I've said that we are more than minions in God's service. And that it is through our lives that God's face and God's glory may be inscribed in the world. How can they both be true? They are true because they are two sides of the same coin. And both sides of that coin belong to God. The God in whom our human oppositions and human contradictions are held together in divine wisdom and truth. For as it was said and has been sung elsewhere, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Lord, have mercy on us all so that in all that we do and all that is done in God's currency, heads may win and tails may not lose. Amen.